Welcome to another episode of Frankly Speaking Sports. I'm your host, Larry Frank. So very happy to have you listening to our podcast today. We got a terrific show for you today. We're going to have Michael Barron. Uh, used to write for SNY. Used to write for Major League Baseball. And covered the New York Mets. So that's going to be a great, great interview. And, you know, hope, hopefully we'll find out some information on what's going to happen in the upcoming days with Major League Baseball. Um, today, some of these um, sites, some of the Major League parks have opened up. I know the Miami Marlins have opened up their facilities. The uh, Tampa Bay Rays have also opened up their facilities for a limited amount of of players and personnel. So once again, hopefully everything is leaning towards Major League Baseball resuming. And we later on, we'll ask Michael Barron about that. But last night, it was NASCAR out in, against in Darlington. And obviously, um, Hamlin won the race, Danny Hamlin. But the big news was the Chase Elliott and Kyle Busch incident where Kyle Busch tried to move up, tapped Chase Elliott's car, and uh, turned him around, caused him to crash. And uh, Elliott, obviously, Elliott was upset, uh, gave him the finger as he passed around, which, um, according to NASCAR, he will not be punished for. But let's go ahead and hear that audio of the Kyle Busch and Chase Elliott. In well, that did not work out for... Oh, Kyle Busch turns Chase Elliott. Hard into the wall. And almost back up into traffic. Oh, Clint Boyer getting pushed. Almost collects him. You can see he's taking his time. He... He wants to see somebody first, or... Yep, he was in position to have a chance to win it. 11th caution flag. Oh, boy. Here's why he's upset. Goes to the outside. Follows Denny Hamlin by the 18. And Kyle Busch just moves up and misjudges it completely. Gets into the left rear, spins Chase Elliott around, sends him into the inside wall. And yes, he did. And, you know, obviously Chase Elliott really, really upset. And like they said, uh, Elliott was in line to possibly at least contend to win that race. And there was no doubt about it. I mean, you know, give Kyle Busch credit. I mean, not that he could have lied, but he took responsibility after that crash. Kyle Busch, you finished second, but a long conversation with Alan Gustafson. Walk us through what you believe took place from your side of the fence. Oh, there's no question. I know. I made a mistake and just misjudged the gap. Um, you know, when we were racing there with the 11 and the 9, had a run on, the, on him. I knew he was there. 
and uh, I knew I needed to get in line as quick as I could and in doing so you know I watched him and his momentum that was going by me and then I tried to look up in the mirror and see where Harvick was to get in and I just misjudged it you know I made a mistake and uh, clipped the nine there and spun him into the wall so I hate it for him and his guys I mean I got too many friends over there on that team to do anything like that on purpose I've raced Chase since he was a kid and never had any issues with him whatsoever so it was just um, a bad mistake on my part and and um, I'll just have to deal with it later on after the debate you've made your case do you feel like that uh, obviously there's hurt feelings but do you believe that Gustafson and their side believe exactly what happened go ask them well you had the conversation with them how, how did they leave it <laughs> they're upset they're mad I'm not just gonna fix it and we're gonna have go ice cream tomorrow yep. you know so obviously they uh, they're gonna have to dwell on it and, and the repercussions of it I'm sure I'm gonna have later on down the road all right thanks Kyle And you can even tell by that video right there that even Kyle Busch wasn't happy. You know, he has a lot of friends on that side. I don't think anything was intentional there, but I do think that, uh, you know, there are hurt feelings. Um, but, you know, those things happen in NASCAR. And as you break down, uh, you know, if you go to a, frankly speaking, Facebook sports group page, it's under Frankly Speaking Sports. We got the entire race recap right on there for you. You could actually look at it. State, we have it broken down stage by stage, pit stop by pit stop of actually what happened in that race. So you can definitely go that. But let's highlight, obviously the winner was Danny Hamlin. And the top five was Hamlin, Bush, second place, so that just shows you how close Chase Elliott probably would have been to the top had it come down to the end. Uh, then Hawick was third, Kozlowski was fourth, and Eric Jones was fifth. Now, you wanted some notable names as we look down. Jimmy Johnson finished eighth. Uh, Truex finished tenth. Tyler Reddick, who is the rookie that had an unbelievable outing on uh, the previous Sunday and finished in the top 10, I believe he was 7th, finished 13th. Not a top 10 finish, but for a rookie, two pretty darn good races. Newman was 14th, Kurt Busch was 15th, um, and then uh, Matt Kenseth was 30, 30th, and obviously Elliott uh, didn't fare well as he ended up um, going ahead and finishing 38th. So NASCAR, real busy. They raced Sunday. They raced yesterday night. They get a couple more days off, and then they'll be racing again this Sunday, the day before Memorial Day. But, you know, they're in the full swing of it, guys. And just so you know, NASCAR is back and going awesome. Now... We just found out um, that Major League Baseball, for some reason, and I don't understand these games people are playing. I know yesterday, if you listened to our podcast, the first half of our show was on this 67-page safety protocol that they want in Major League Baseball, which... The players just, even the players are starting to come out and say, it's ridiculous, some of the rules. And Major League Baseball comes out and says, 
It's only the first draft. Well, why are you playing games? I mean, I cannot understand why Major League Baseball is playing so many games with Major League Baseball players to get them back on the field. Now, I'm not going to sit here and discuss this 67-page protocol all over again like we did yesterday. Everybody knows my feelings on this, but stop playing games. It's not the first draft. It's not the first negotiations. Guys, I don't know if you know it, but we're almost, I think we're a week away from it being June 1st, and you're playing these mind games that are totally ridiculous. It's not our first draft. That's what the commissioner comes out and says today. It's not our first safety protocol. Okay, you should have sat down, I don't care, virtually, however the heck you want to do it, but and went over this with the players involved trying to figure out these safety protocols. It is common sense, you know, but once again, that old saying is sometimes common sense ain't so common, especially when it comes to Robert Manfred. And everybody knows how I feel about him. But you came out, you did this player's uh, additional cut. Well, first it started... Months ago, when you asked the players, hey, we need to prorate your contracts and pay you based on the number of games that you are playing. And the players said, okay, the players understood. They were good in this case. They were the good ones. And they decided that this is okay. We'll do it. Then Major League Baseball comes back at him. Wants him to take a 30, an additional 30% pay cut. Start doing 55th revenue share. I mean, come on. And then after they put that out there, what does the commissioner's office say? Well, it's our only our first proposal. And then he does the same thing today about this safety protocol. Stop playing damn games, Manfred. Get these guys together. Get it worked out if you want a baseball season. Otherwise, you're going to be in a very big surprise when nobody plays baseball. Then you can go ahead, lose your $4 million or whatever it might be a year, and then cry about it. If you want to play baseball, start being a man. Act like a man. Get these guys together. We should not be arguing at this time. The number one thing besides safety, should be playing baseball. Stop playing these mind games. We'll be back right after this. All about work ethic. You can't achieve anything in life without a great work ethic. So many people want achievements, they want accomplishments, but they're not willing to do the things it takes to make it happen. It starts with you, with the mental attitude, the desire, the determination, the discipline, and the perseverance. You're going to have ups, you're going to have downs. How you handle those are vital in determining whether you're going to be a success or a failure. You know you're never a failure if you give your best. Man, if you can look at that mirror and simply say, I gave my best, what a winner you are. A winner in the game of life. That was the great Dick Vitale. And if you listen to our shows on a daily basis, you understand that I make Dick Vitale part of our show every day. 
Every first break we have, we go ahead and do his motivational tip of the day. What an inspirational man. He's so good to many. And, you know, as long as I can and as long as he keeps doing these motivational speeches, every single day we will play his motivational tip of the day. That's a great dick by town. Now, we did get some news yesterday out of the Arkansas Razorbacks men's basketball, and, you know, it's, it's okay news that they're going to participate in the 2021, that's 2021 Hall of Fame Classic on November 21st, 2021. Besides them, some of the teams that are included is Cincinnati, Illinois, and Kansas State. So our basketball team is going to be real good. I know we suffered a little bit in the SEC uh, last year, having a losing record. Overall, I know we were 20 and 12. I'm really looking forward to Eric Musselman and the upcoming basketball season at the University of Arkansas. Want to remind you, in a little bit, the great Michael Barron will be joining us live here on Frankly Speaking Sports. He is the former writer for SNY. He wrote for Major League Baseball, and he covered the New York Mets. So we got lots to talk about with Michael when he comes on our show in a little bit. Want to remind us, you can follow us on many platforms. We have the fastest growing Facebook group in America right now. Frankly speaking, sports. Go to Facebook. Hit the little magnifying glass where you search. Type in Frankly Speaking Sports. Don't forget the word sports. Otherwise, you could be frankly speaking about subjects you don't want to talk about. So type in the word sports, ask to join, and we will go ahead and approve you. You not only get our podcast, you not only get our latest interviews like the one we'll be doing today, but you will also get the most updated news in the sports world as we get it. We pass it right on to you. Also, we now have a YouTube channel. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. It is completely free. All our videos are on there. All the interviews that we do, an audio version is on YouTube. We have such great guests as Rich Herrera. We have uh, Al Keck. Greg Orman, Ed Hearn, Vader Pinson the Third, Pinson the Third, just a few of many great, great interviews on there, and we will continue to put on our future interviews on there as well. We're also talking about going ahead and streaming our podcast, the audio version, live on YouTube. Subscribe; it's free. Also, if you have any comments, concerns, thoughts. You want to talk about or want us to talk about. Not only can you ask us on our Facebook page, you can go to franklyspeaking528 at gmail.com or leave a message at the end of this podcast. It'll give you permission to leave a voice message and we'll actually get that on our next episode of Frankly Speaking Sports. You know, as I'm doing these plugs about where you can listen to us, how you can join us, how you can just follow us, you know, I'm trying to read through some of these tweets. Uh, 
you know, my good buddy John Heyman uh, just tweeted out, and, you know, it's it's getting bad, guys. And when I have to read something like this, it just nauseates me about how sickening it is to look at these two sides of baseball during this time. And I know we dwell on this, but how they cannot get together. I mean, let, let me first tell you the tweet I just got from John Heyman. Um, he said, players are expecting MLB's economic proposal by early next week. If it's a 50-50 revenue sharing plan, that's all but sure to be shot down by players. Obviously, we already know that. Meanwhile, Major League Baseball seems equally opposed to paying prorated player salaries over the um, proposed 82 games. Compromising is needed. John, you are right. Compromise is needed. And you, you know what's really terrible about this whole thing? Here's a time baseball had an opportunity to look real good. They had such a great opportunity. And the more and more the fans, and I'm one of the hugest baseball fans you'll probably ever meet. So I know I'm talking for other fans. I won't say all fans, but I know I'm speaking for other fans when I say it's getting to the point where it's sickening to hear about these guys arguing every day. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you the players are right or the players are wrong. Okay, we have discussed this before. Um, the game's Major League Baseball committee, commissioner's office is playing, is disheartening to all of us fans. We were excited to have baseball back. If you would have asked me a week ago, I tell you, I cannot wait till America's pastime comes back. Baseball, the greatest game in the world. You sit out in the beautiful sunshine. You eat your Cracker Jacks. You break your peanuts. You drink your beer. And you eat your hot dog. There's nothing better than Major League Baseball. But you guys are ruining it. You're ruining everybody's opinion of the game because you're too stupid to act like professionals and get this thing done. This is not a collective bargaining agreement. It shouldn't be treated as one. This thing could be completed today if you wanted to complete it today. Now you're going on another week and another week because you want to put one proposal and two proposals and three proposals. You want to play games and it's not right. It's completely wrong. It's wrong to the players and it's wrong to the fans. But obviously nobody out there cares about the fans. And don't think I'm putting this blame on the players. Because I'm not. You're coming out doing this stupid first proposal, second proposal. If you sit down, I don't care. You're allowed to sit down now with someone. Or you can talk virtually. It doesn't matter. But there is no reason why you have to drag this thing on for weeks and weeks and weeks and waste valuable time where you could be getting ready to play baseball games. And I'm tired 
every single day of hearing that we can't agree, we can't agree, we can't agree. Well, guess what? If you can't agree, you're not going to get any money this year. We'll be back right after this station break. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking Sports. We're just moments away from having the great Michael Barron, who has written for SNY and for Major League Baseball, and he covers the New York Mets. Uh, we'll have him on just shortly here. I want to remind you all that tomorrow we will have the great Peter Burns, the ESPN SEC Network studio anchor, is right now tentatively scheduled to appear on Frankly Speaking Sports Live. We will confirm that later this afternoon, but a very good chance, once again, that Peter Burns, ESPN SEC Network studio anchor, will be joining us tomorrow on Frankly Speaking Sports. Ladies and gentlemen, now on the Frankly Speaking Sports hotline, it is my great pleasure to introduce to you um, a gentleman who has written for SNY, for Major League Baseball. He covered the New York Mets. Uh, let's welcome Michael Barron. Michael, how are you doing today? Doing all right. Everybody's staying safe. How about yourself? We're doing good down here as well. Michael, um, the last couple of days, at least around Major League Baseball, I know especially in the state of Florida, some of the facilities, the home facilities are opening up like the Tampa Bay Rays, the Miami Marlins to do some of these, uh, you know, workouts with a limited number of people. And then you get Major League Baseball, you know, playing these games, it seems like with the own, uh, you know, the between the players and the owners about getting the season started. And just when fans are excited to see baseball, seems like these two sides are doing everything to tarnish the game. What is your perspective on what's going on right now between the commissioner's office and the players? And, you know, from a fan's perspective, also from a writer's perspective, it's got to be pissing you off a little bit. Well, you know, it's it's not really a surprise why you're seeing the squabbling and this, you know, general disagreement about everything. I mean, for a number of years now, neither the league office or the players' association have been able to even agree on the color of the sky. So, you know, it it stands to reason that this would be a difficult at best negotiation, which is for what really is a mini collective bargaining agreement for the 2020 season, right? You know, they're discussing player salaries, they're discussing player conditions, they're discussing what the league can do, what the players can do, what the league can't do, and so on and so forth. It's, a, it's really, you know, when you, when you dumb it all down, not a, 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 a mini CBA negotiation, but also really kind of like a sneak preview of what the league and the players are up against after 2021, which is when the current CBA, the real CBA expires. You know, there, I think that one of the key issues between the league and the players right now is that the league hasn't really been able to um, address the player safety concerns, which is really what, all these, all, all they, you know, a lot of what they care about, and it's an understandable concern. I mean, I laid out the scenario yesterday or the day before of, 
you know, just think about it on these simple terms. The pitcher throw, pitches the ball to the catcher. The catcher throws the ball back to the pitcher. Then the pitcher wipes his brow, wipes his nose, goes to his mouth like they always do pretty much on every pitch or on every other pitch, and then takes the ball and throws it back to the, to the catcher, who then touches the ball again. So you cause a potential spread just just in that one little scenario. Now, MLB will tell will, will tell um, the players, well, we're, we'll, we're going to test the players constantly, and we're going to do everything we can and blah, 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 blah to um, – create a safe and comfortable environment for the players. But that's not necessarily possible when you think about just the little nuances of the game and, you know, how like just touching the baseball can cause a spread to, you know, any number of players on the field, even after, you know, the, the, the hitter makes contact and hits the ball to somebody and someone's got to touch the ball. Right. So, you know, a lot. Of, this is a lot of what the players are really concerned of, and also, of course, like what happens when a player inevitably tests positive. You know, what's going to happen to that player? What's going to happen to that clubhouse? What's going to happen to the uh, to the other team? You know, and and Rob Manfred has only said that. Well, if one player gets it, that doesn't shut down the league, and that's probably not true because if someone gets it. That means an entire clubhouse has to go into isolation for 14 days and not to mention what happens with the other teams. So you potentially lose two teams in this realigned and really unfamiliar version of Major League Baseball. And I think that those are, you know, aside from the player salary issue, which is legitimate, um, but difficult for us folks who don't make, you know, millions and millions of dollars to relate to or even tolerate. And I understand that side of it as well. It's a tone deaf argument between millionaires and billionaires. But when you put all that together, it's really difficult for the two sides to come together, which has left a lot of skepticism, you know, despite some of the public optimism, you know, that you see that games will be played this year. It leads to a lot of skepticism that it's, if they do play, that it's sustainable. And I think that's really just a pragmatic view, you know, just from what we all know about the disease. You know, the disease doesn't care about how much money you have, what political party you are, whether you're a Major League Baseball player, an NFL player, an NBA player. You know, it doesn't distinguish between any of that. If you catch it, you can be affected regardless of your demographic. So, um, you know, this is what a lot of the players are worried about and why you're hearing a lot of prominent players are willing to sit out the season and and um, surrender their salary, you know, just because they want to keep themselves safe. They want to keep their families safe. You know, we've seen what this can do even to young people, and these are all young people. So, I, you know, I think that's the long and short of, you know, what you're seeing. I know there are other nuances and details, which, you know, are microcosms of the grand disagreement. Um, so we just have to see what happens. You know, this is... You know, the, the relationship at its foundation is not great to begin with, and that makes this all pretty hard to see a positive conclusion with. So we'll now, just have to see what happens. Now, they came out, Michael, with this 67-page uh, safety protocol. And, you know, maybe I think differently than other people, but if you need to have 67 typed pages of safety protocols... In my opinion, that is the same thing as saying it's not safe to play baseball. 
but also you have to remember on both sides in the player association and the league, you know, these are legally written and CYA documents. So, you know, there's, you know, from, from our, from our perspective, we got our hands on the document on this 67 page document, five of the pages may be relevant to us. So, you know, I wouldn't read too much into the length of it, but I do agree that, you know, you know, yeah, I think of it as a player, really. You know, what what am I faced with? I think of it as a regular person when I go to the grocery store, when I, you know, I have to walk my dog, or I'm out for a walk with my wife, or I'm bike riding with my kid, and I pass somebody. You know, there are assumed risks that you take when you leave your house. Now, put these people in a confined space in a clubhouse where they're sharing showers, and they're not going to be allowed to shower, you know that, which is disgusting. Um you know, that creates a, 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 its own hygiene problem. You know, how do you spread people out in the clubhouse? You know, these are all things that MLB must address, and it must be a uniform process for all 30 clubs. You know, it's easy to say, okay, well, we'll realign so you don't have to fly anywhere. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll change the rules so the umpires have to wear a mask or the pitcher can't go to his mouth. But, you know, the weather and the conditions in the stadium dictate the behavior of the players. In you know, in large measure, this isn't. You know, the conditions are not equal from city to city, from from stadium to stadium. You know, the wind, the, the the rain, the sun, you know, the humidity, you know, all can play a role in whether or not you go to your hands or your face, or you know, you end up touching something in the clubhouse to make yourself feel good. You know, I mean, you you understand that just as human beings. You know, it, right. these are difficult things to overcome. Now. The flip side of the argument, of course, is that in Korea, this is all working. And, yeah, I mean, they haven't had to shut down their league. It's weird with no fans in the stadium. But I think, you know, all things being equal, people can deal with it as long as baseball is being played. The difference between Korea and the United States, as we all know, is that the scale of the problem is different here than it is there. You know, they had a an immediate containment slash mitigation strategy at the beginning which was harsh and very and much more draconian than what we have in this country. You know, our stay-at-home order was, please stay at home. In South Korea, it was, you're staying at home. Big difference, you know. So, you know, it's, and it's, you know, in terms of the scale, it's much more out of control here. So the question is, if there is an outbreak in Major League Baseball, how do you keep, how do you isolate that outbreak and keep everybody else safe? You know, and I think that those are going to be difficult questions to answer. Now, Michael, going on to other sports-related material, talking about the New York Mets, and I know you covered the New York Mets for a while now. What was it like uh, watching Pete Alonso's rookie year last year? I mean, it was surreal to see you know a player burst onto the scene. And not just not just you know hit the way he did and put on the show that he did you know from the beginning of the year to the end you know and what he did in the All Star game but for a guy to be able to burst on the scene like that and immediately what's the word I'm looking for you know he 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 you know he he has he created his own aura right from the beginning and it's very rare to see that just in a personality in sports, especially in New York, where they can, you know, come in, immediately make a huge impact to the roster and to the clubhouse and to the fan base and to the city, but also be able to sort of pick up and carry a team on his shoulders the way he did. And he was able to do that for stretches at a time. You know, 
and he has a very unique personality as well, which I think makes him even more of a special athlete in, you know, in this country. Um, I mean, you know, obviously we've never seen anything like it from a statistical perspective. He shattered, you know, the home run record. Um, and he seemed like he did it with ease. You know, he didn't really struggle to hit home runs last year. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, this is a very, this is, this is a guy, you know, should he be able to sustain, you know, a high level, you know, this high level performance, you know, combine that with his personality, you know, and what he brings to the game itself. Like this is a guy you build your, not just a roster around, but your brand around. And, you know, I think that's what makes him, you know, truly special and truly important to not just the Mets, but the city itself. Now, this will be, and you've heard this in sports just as much as I've heard about the sophomore jinx. Do you think Alonzo, I mean, now pitches are going to obviously uh, have as, a lot more data on him with the analytics in the game and everything. Do you think he can keep this up? Well, I mean, no player in history has been able to hit 50 home runs a year for his entire career. So the answer to the question is probably not. Having said that, you know, like I said before, it's more about, you know, I think if he can improve other areas of his game, you know, you know, plate discipline when he's slumping especially, you know, I think he does a pretty good, I think he does a really good job of spraying the ball to center and left, you know, so he's not really a one-dimensional hitter. But I think being able to, you know, mitigate his batting slumps by staying out, you know, staying, keeping keeping himself from swinging at pitches outside the zone at the rate he did when he was slumping, it will only help him become a more well-rounded player. And, you know, maybe, you know, he's not going to hit 50 home runs a year, but, you know, if he can give you 35 to 40 with a little bit higher on base percentage, you know, a little bit, you know, I know batting, batting average has become overrated, but you'd like to see that contact rate go up in some cases, you know, and his ability to get on base. I think that will be ultimately more important than, you know, how many home runs he can hit. You know, if he can hit a ton of home runs, but also have, you know, a 400 on base, like you're talking about an unstoppable force at the plate, you know. So um, I think that's how he will be able to mitigate the sophomore. So, I mean, you heard about a lot of – you heard him talk about a lot of these things during spring training because, you know, I'm sure it's in the back of his mind. Like, you know, now the expectations are high. You know, now everyone's going to think he's a 50 home run threat every year, and he is. But he's not going to hit 50 home runs a year. He's not going to play 100% healthy, you know, all the time. So how does he remain an impact player, you know, when those condition when, when he's facing those conditions? And I think, you know, he understands that. That's part of what makes him special. That's part of what makes him more mature than the years of service would suggest. And, you know, it's about putting it into practice, of course. But, you know, I think we're all excited to see him actually do that. You know, what happens when, you know, he doesn't hit 50 home runs? What does his game look like? And, um, you know, it's part of a player's story. You know, the great ones are able to overcome, you know, the sophomore slump. The great ones are able to sustain this for 15 years. You know, you know Albert Pujols being one of them. He's not what he was before, but he's really, to me, you know, the example of, you know, one of the truly great hitters, you know, of our generation because, you know, he was, you know, he could beat you with a home run. He could beat you with a walk. He could beat you, you know, by hitting the ball to right field. And um, that's, I think, the kind of player that Pete Alonso would strive to be, you know, a guy who can beat you in any number of ways, not just by hitting a home run, you know. So we'll see what happens. I mean, he's, he's a great player and a great person, and I think that's, 
know, this is someone that's, this is, as I, as I always say, there, there are very few keepers that you can immediately define, and I think Pete Alonso was one of those rare keepers. We're talking to Michael Barron. He wrote for SNY and for Major League Baseball, and he covered the New York Mets. A couple more quick questions for you. You know, looking at this team, let's say they do play in 2020. Obviously, Noah Syndergaard going down is a loss for the Mets, but if you look at this team on paper, you still have a, a good, solid starting five with um, Stroman, Watka, Porcello, Mets, DeGrom, um, you got a great bullpen, and you got a lot of great young guys in Conforto, McNeil, um, obviously Alonzo, Nemo, and so on and so on. Um, what is your projection if they do play this year? Because, you know, for me looking at it, I think they can be a very competitive team. Yeah, look, I mean, the problem, the problem with a shortened season especially as time goes on with no resolution, the number of games are they're just going to get more and more reduced. You know, the problem with, with a smaller schedule is that you're not afforded, you know, a 10-game stretch where you can, you know, maybe get in a rut, get in a slump. You know, a 3-7 and seven can be brutal on your ability to make the playoffs. So, um, it, it, I don't... I, and, that, and that's when there are the, 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 the offenses which aren't as well-rounded as others to me, um, you know, can really suffer consequences because, like I said, you know, if you go 10 or 12 games where you're averaging three runs, which happens to most teams, you know, that can kill your season if they're only going to play, you know, 80 games or 60 games or 50 games or whatever it's ultimately going to be. Um, you know, so... I don't know if the shortened season helps the Mets as much as it may hurt them. I think for a team like the Yankees, it's a little bit different story because they're in. You know, there's no question they're you know a cut above the Mets. You know, even as good as we think the Mets can be, you know, the Yankees just have a more complete roster, a more a deeper lineup, a better bullpen, and they can with you know they they can mitigate the slumps because they can beat you in more ways than the Mets can. So. Um, I don't know how the shortened season might help them. I mean, in terms of Noah Syndergaard, he's out at least, you know, from March to March. So the fewer games you play without him, the better off you are because he's, you know, despite his struggles last year, and you don't know whether that was tied to a potential elbow problem. Um, you know, I, I think the fewer games you miss with that pitcher, type that kind of pitcher, the better off you are just from, you know, from a, or, or a, as far as the season goes. But yes, you're right. I mean, the pitching is still a strength, albeit it looks a little bit different than it did a year ago without Wheeler and Syndergaard. But, um, you know, they're going to, anything that happens, they're going to live and die by the starting pitching of the bullpen because this is a team, you know, as we all know last year, they couldn't win games close and late. You know, they would, because of the bullpen, because the offense would struggle at times, they didn't, you know, they didn't support the starting pitcher. So, you know, they're gonna, you know, they're gonna rest all their hope on, you know, a thirteen man on the thirteen man pitching staff. And I think Brody is gonna have to get creative, you know, with the new roster rules, you know, and the new rules in game, you know, on how he manages um, that 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 pitching staff from day to day with the roster maneuverability and making sure there are fresh arms and. You know, and making sure you keep the starting pitchers healthy with a different, you know, with, you're going to now have a different spring, a new spring training, a shortened spring training. But that's the thing. Remember, like all the pitchers have to start from scratch again. And it's whatever happens, it's going to be an accelerated spring training 
in strange conditions in the summertime in you know if they're in Florida especially it's going to be hotter and more humid and it's going to be difficult you know but you know this is a good roster and you have good chemistry and you know, whenever you have both of those um, I think it's a recipe for success and I think Brody's done a great job identifying you know working you know humanizing this clubhouse a little bit more than it has been past and that's a credit to his roster building despite some of the bad bad moves that he's made you know so. Um, no, I think they're still in good shape, but you know, like I said, I think you know there's 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 still holes on the roster, which I think get more and more difficult to address with a shortened season. Now, before I let you go, um, you know, I've been hearing a lot of stuff within the media about the Mets and them being up for sale. Uh, what's the latest news on that? There's a lot of news. I mean, you've seen. You know, A-Rod enter and exit the, the fray, um, just from a media perspective. I mean, they, the, the Wilpons and really the league have kept those cards close to the best. And, um, you know, so it's difficult to say if there's been any traction. I mean, you know, look, I think the economy and the markets and, you know, people's wells especially have been greatly and adversely affected over the last two months or three months, really. This all started really in February. So, you know, I, I don't personally know if you're going to see any traction with, you know, the, the sale of the club until, you know, there's some sort of momentum with, you know, the season, you know. And I think a lot of that has to do with, the, the you know, personal investor uncertainty um, and, you um, and fear, but also this is all affecting the valuation of the club, you know, so, you know, it's ultimately becomes a buyer's market when it comes to a professional sports sale right now, because revenues are down, which means, you know, any, any, any profits or any, any profits are down and any, um, you know, any losses are up. So that can certainly influence the value of a club and the sale of a club. So I, I don't know that you're going to see anything like that until, you know, later this year. Um, but I can tell you just based on reports and in, you know, sniffing and listening around um, the club is that they're, they are motivated to sell. I mean, I think we all know that anyway. Um, and, um, you know, so I think something will happen. It's just a matter of when. All right. Well, Michael, I want to thank you so much for taking some time with us today to be on Frankly Speaking Sports. I really, really appreciate it, and stay safe, my friend. You too, and thanks for having me. I had a good time. All right. Thank you, sir. That was the great Michael Barron. He covered the New York Mets route for SNY and MLB. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking Sports. That was the great Michael Barron. And tomorrow we have another tentative scheduled great interview for you. That would be Peter Burns. Works for ESPN SC Network as studio anchor. So a lot of us know who Peter Burns is. And boy, should that be an interesting conversation as well. Want to remind you that you can follow us on Twitter. If you have a Twitter account, go to at Larry Frankis. That's with the U.S. at the end. Follow us. Enjoy it. We put our podcasts on that platform. We also have many other platforms. 
We have Anchor FM, we have Spotify, we have Google, we have Breaker, and so on and so on and so on. Also, the fastest growing sports group page on Facebook, Frankly Speaking Sports. Make sure you type in the word sports and you not only get all our interviews, all our podcasts, but you get the latest updated news in the world of sports. So lots of different ways. Now we have YouTube. We have our own YouTube channel, Frankly Speaking Sports. All our interviews are on there. From the past interviews we've done and the and all the ones in the future will also be put on that platform. So you can watch them over and over and over again. We're on YouTube TV. You can watch us on your big screen, 70 inch, and watch and listen to our audio of these terrific podcasts. I want to let you all know that we have several, several great guests coming up in the next, uh, actually in the next week. We have, uh, we told you Peter Burns tomorrow, next week, uh, throughout the week, we're going to have Phil Elson. He does play-by-play for the Arkansas Razorback baseball team. I believe we're having Ty Richardson next week. That's just to name a few. I understand we might have Zach Berman, um, who covers the Philadelphia Eagles. So for you Eagle fans, a lot of great, great guests coming to the fastest growing sports podcast in the nation, frankly speaking, sports. Um, want to also let you know we've had a lot and lot and lots of feedback and actually compliments on our podcast yesterday. Uh, it was a very, very good podcast. Unfortunately, Anchor FM was having technical difficulties, so it actually got added on somehow to the Hogville episode from the day before. But we broke it down for you, and it is on YouTube. So if you go to YouTube, you can listen to that podcast. We not only talked about the 67-page safety protocol, but we also talked about... Uh, racism in the NFL. So if you're not a member of our Frankly Speaking uh, sports page on Facebook, go ahead and join us. You can listen to it there. Or like I said, you can go to uh, Frankly Speaking Sports YouTube channel and watch it there. want to thank everybody for joining us today. I want you all go out there. want you to all be safe. And we plan on having you listen to us tomorrow on another episode of Frankly Speaking Sports.